You are listening to a sermon from Covenant Hope Church. Thank you for engaging with us. If you would like more information about our church family, please visit www.covenanthope.church. We pray that this sermon encourages and challenges you today. And today we started a short series last week. Uh, Normally we walk through books of the Bible together and we're going to start that as soon as this series is over when we start in the book of James. But We started the year by reminding us of who God has called us to be, and so we've called this series our Marks of Maturity series. It was about four years ago, uh, well, okay, not quite, we're we're a little shy of four years ago, as we were meeting, often in the Griffin's restaurant that's no longer there in Youngsville on Friday mornings, uh, Pastor Cody and myself and a couple of others were meeting to say and to try to figure out what God was calling us to do here as a replant, what did he want us to be about? And it's not really shocking as we prayed about that. We became convinced that our mission here is the same mission that the church has had since Christ left and sent us on mission to make his name famous, which is we are to be about making disciples. Now, we added the word mature so that we would, in other words, make mature disciples because we wanted to highlight the fact that God doesn't just simply call us to preach his gospel, see people come to faith, and then just leave them alone. If you, if you remember back at the end of Matthew, what is often called in the Great Commission, Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples baptize, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But he didn't stop there, Right? Because then he continues and says, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. So that is where our four words came from. Before, Cody shared last week, before we could actually start on this mission, we had to say and come up with a game plan of how we're going to accomplish this mission. We have to ask a really crucial question. If our goal and our mission is to make mature disciples, we have to stop and say, well, what is a mature disciple? If we don't know what a mature disciple is, we can't make a game plan. So our four words came from that. Last week we started, Pastor Cody started, uh, that we needed to have, the first mark is confess, we needed to have a right and growing confession of Christ, who He is, who we are without Him, what He's done and who we are in Christ. It's our first mark of maturity. If we have that as a church, it's a growing family of people who are doing the same things. And today we're looking at our second mark of maturity. This one's unique, by the way. Because it's, we've written it in the passive, right? Confess, next week engage, after that multiply. And this week is be transformed. And it says, as a church, if we were doing this together, we would be a family of believers being transformed into the image of Christ by the power of the gospel. All of these marks require God's work, His work in us and through us. But we really wanted to highlight the fact that we don't transform ourselves. That we should be marked by people who are continually looking more and more like Christ. That's what he's called us to be about. So our second mark is being transformed. In fact, that's the main idea of our text today. If you look over this text, specifically verses 3 through 11, you'll see that God calls Christians to live godly lives by continually growing in grace. And then our takeaway, if you're a believer here this morning is by the power of God, continually pursue a deeper relationship with Christ, which keeps us effective for the Lord. Now, we're talking about growing in grace today, and if I'm really honest, growing in grace is a slow, 
arduous, painful sometimes uh, process. It's, it's a process that sometimes feels more like failing than actually succeeding. For those of you who've walked with Christ for a while, you know what I'm talking about. There are these times of, in these periods of your life where you're not even sure you've grown at all. God saved me many years ago, actually when I was much younger, and it's somewhat exciting but also a little bit humbling to realize that I've been a believer for almost 30 years, and having walked with Christ for almost 30 years, I'll be honest, there's times where I'm a little frustrated, I'm a little sad, I kind of thought I'd be further along, you know what I mean? I kind of thought I wouldn't be failing in some of the areas that I'm still failing at, I kind of thought that my life wouldn't be more marked by the fruit of the Spirit more than it is at times. And yet I'm reminded that it's a slow process, and our God is a patient God. Well, I'm trying to think through word pictures this week of this. Let me just be honest, it's not just because of my current physique, but I really cannot stand the sake of running only for the sake of running. I just, I don't. You know, I, growing up, I played sports all the time, one season to the next to the next, and whether it was on a field or, or, or on a court or wherever, loved being active. Uh, but the moment the coach said, hey, go run a couple laps, man, all of a sudden, my legs just got so tired. Uh, I have never understood, I've never, look, I've got friends, they love running. They say it clears their head. They, they get, they, they call those runners high, and it just makes them excited. I've never ever, ever gotten that runner's eye. Um, in fact, I get bored, right? And so I'm running, and at a mile about, well, mile, I don't know, maybe 0.5, uh, I'm bored. And at that point, once you're bored, I'm tired, and nonetheless, uh, let me digress a little bit. Let me take this picture further. Picture running on a treadmill or a stationary bike. Now, if you watch TV, they're all about making that look like it's the most incredible thing in the world. They are running on a treadmill with this huge screen in front of them or on, a, you know, on this stationary bike with a screen so they can picture all the places that they think they're going, but they're not. And no matter how exciting they make it seem, at the end of the day, when you finish, you step off and you're sweating and you're tired and you look around and you realize, I didn't actually go anywhere. And if we're honest, sometimes during certain seasons of our walk with the Lord, we expend so much effort, we're so tired We feel like we're laboring hard, and then we step back, and it looks as though we've gone nowhere. Like running a 5K on a treadmill just to realize that you haven't even left the bonus room. Sometimes our being transformed to the image of Christ feels like we are going nowhere. But let me encourage you, if God has called us to this, He's equipped us for this, and He will see it to completion. As we talk about growing in Christ, there's a word that often Christians like to use, and so I want to share it because it's helpful, and that's the word sanctification. Sometimes I feel like we just come up with big words because they're fun to talk about, but in this case, it means the process of becoming more sanctified, of becoming more and more like Christ. We've said before that the Christian life is, is kind of a now and not yet experience. When you've come to faith in Christ, you are justified, that is, made right with God. And all of the promises that are ours in Christ are guaranteed at that moment. And yet we know we're headed towards new life in Christ, and yet we don't fully realize all of that just yet. That happens after we leave this earth, whether by our death or by Christ's returning. And so in between, there is this slow process 
of growing into that new reality. That is sanctification. That is growing in grace. So I want to jump into the heart of our text today, starting in verse 3. And I want to read, as I've already read it, but I want to read through it and we're going to talk about three observations from our text today. So starting in verse 3, His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. By these He has given us very great and precious promises, so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. Now, top of verse 3, it says, His divine power has given us. Who is us? Who is us? Is it, it, I mean, when you think about God's divine power being given, surely He's talking to rock star Christians, right? The ones who have been walking with the Lord for a long way, the ones who have ascended to a certain point. That's the us He's talking to, right? No. If you look back and, and we were to look at the whole book, Peter's actually writing here as an old man. In fact, the passage right below ours, he's going to talk about the fact his time on earth is short. The Lord's already revealed that to him. And he's writing to a, a, a scattered church because of persecution. And they're dealing with those struggles from without. They're dealing with false teachers from within that are teaching that, look, you say Christ is returning. We haven't seen it. Might as well just go live however you want. There's no worries about that. These Christians are struggling. These Christians are tired. These Christians are doubting. These aren't rock star Christians. But verse 2 says that we have all received, or the end of verse 1 says we've all received the same grace, the same faith. And so Peter is writing to people just like you and me, and it says that his divine power has been given to us. And he tells them that they, he tells them that they get to share in the divine nature, right? And depending on your translation, it says may share or may partake in the divine nature having escaped the corruption of this world. Well, sure, right, Peter? That's future-based. No, that's right now. It's, it's right now that we've escaped the corruption of this world. Yes, more fully, more, more completely in when we, when we are with Christ, but, but even now we can partake in the divine nature. You and I can live out the nature. That is the character of God now. You and I can grow in grace now. You can experience the new life, not the old one, that you've escaped in Christ, but the new life you can experience now. And so our first observation this morning is that growing in grace, which by the way is something we're all supposed to be about. Every believer is to be becoming more like Christ. So our first observation is growing in Christ claims God's power. And we must pause here for just a quick moment. I'm honest, I'm, I'm afraid uh, that sometimes we have made the Christian faith merely about a set of doctrines to be accepted. We've made the Christian faith a set of doctrines to be accepted. But if we look at verse 3, it's really teaching that there is a power to be experienced. And I realize uh, depending on where, which faith background you're coming from or how you're walking with the Lord is, the idea that I'm talking about experiencing God, we realize at times that has been overblown. And sometimes we've run to the idea that if we could just get all the doctrine right and we can have all of our head knowledge right about who God is, that'll protect us, and therefore we miss out that God has invited us to be in relationship with Him, to know Him, to experience who He is. So we must hold those rightly but it is more than just simply understanding things about Christ. 
If you're like me at times, because of that, maybe that fear or upbringing or whatever, we read this verse and we jump right over those first few words and we run to life and godliness. And what's the next word? Oh, knowledge. Great. I've got it. We've made our faith about knowing with little consideration for experiencing God. We've told our kids and maybe others at times that the demons are incredibly knowledgeable about right things about our God. In fact, they could probably go to some of our seminaries and get PhDs in theology because of all the things they know rightly about our God. But brothers and sisters, believing truth about Jesus won't save you. If the power of God does not flow into your life and make you godly, then you are not Christ's. Romans 8.14 says, All those led by God's Spirit are God's sons and daughters. The mark of sonship and daughtership is divine power. The mark of divine power is godliness, which just simply means loving the things God loves and walking in the ways of God. So it is a power that that we need from God, but it is a power that has been given to us. See the beauty of verse 3? It says that God has called us to grow in grace, but then He's given us everything we need to actually live into this new life. This is a promise for every single one of us, not just the superstar Christians, every single person in Christ. Even wretches, even failures like myself. Peter's writing to a people and he says, even in your struggles, God has given you the power you need for new life. Now live in it. Quickly, friends, I don't know about you, but how many of us at times, if we're really honest, have actually felt more like God is against us in this process of sanctification than for us. feels like at times when, when things seem to be going well, that He just keeps putting these stumbling blocks in our way. And then when we fail, we're feeling like He's going, see, you're not quite there yet. And He condemns us in that. But let me just be honest with you, that's not our Lord. That's the voice of His enemy, who tempts, who says, go after this, look at that, take this. And the moment you do, He says, why would you do that? That's the voice of the accuser, the liar, the one who wants you to fail. That's not the voice of our Lord. Our Lord, shockingly enough, is actually for us. Because Paul says in Philippians 1.6, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. Think of this, it is God who begins the work, and it is by God's power that he was going to complete his work in you. Now how many times are you in that verse? Not much. It is God who begins it. It's by God's power that He will complete His work in you. See, God is working in and through you to accomplish the work that He has already set out to do. It's by God's power that we can grow in grace. He wants you to be like His Son. He's currently working toward that end, lovingly, kindly. Sometimes it may feel a little painful as He's he's molding us and shaping us into His Son. But he's committed to the sanctification of his children. So should we be. All right, great. That sounds good, Ryan. How do we do that? What's Peter say in the rest of verse 3? It's through a growing in the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Here's what Peter says. The more you know Jesus, the more you will be like Jesus. The more you know him, the more you will be like him. What does it mean to grow in the knowledge of Christ? Cody hit on this last week. It's not simply a head knowledge or a book knowledge. 
Let me give you a, a picture, uh, although faulty, but, but it's a picture nonetheless. My wife and I, Megan, um, have known each other a very long time. We dated for almost seven years before we got married, primarily to do uh, to our age. But, but even going back, her parents moved to Winston-Salem uh, in, in elementary, when she was in elementary school and started attending the same church that my family was at, or they're all still at. Um, and so I've known her for a very long time. And because of our parents' friendship, because of, of joint activities they would do and other reasons, we spent a lot of time together, even at a young age. And I got to know a ton of things about her. Uh, apparently, uh, in, in, in our, we're old enough that in our middle school, that, that bright, ridiculously bright green and orange were like the colors. And she, she wore it on clothes, and it was, it was uh, school binders, and, and it was like these, these hair thingies, scrunchies, I, I think, whatever they're called, and, and everywhere. And she loved that color for some reason. I knew what sport she liked to play, what position she played. I, I knew what music she liked. I, I, know, I knew uh, what things, uh, personality traits that she really despised. I knew things about her as much as any best friend would know about someone. But simply knowing information about her doesn't lead to 14 years of marriage and four kids. At some point, there had to be a deep desire to be around her, to not just know information about her, but to know her. And at some point, it became not just knowing that information, but, but wanting to be in those things with her, right? And unfortunately for her, she committed to rooting for the Chicago Cubs, the baseball team. Uh, and they, again, unfortunately, this is when they were like really bad before they won the World Series. And unfortunately, they're kind of on that way again. But, but nonetheless, she committed to doing that because she knew I enjoyed it. Like she, you know, I mean, growing up where we grew up, it was the Atlanta Braves because they were good and Chicago Cubs were kind of out of it by June. But she committed to being a part of it because I liked it. Now, I realize that's a flawed example. But in a more important way, Peter says, if you want to grow to be more like Christ, grow in your knowing of Christ. Here's the reality, though. Many of us want to be like Christ, or we say we do, but we don't want to spend the time or the effort or the sacrifice to be with Him. Let me say it again. Many of us say we want to be like Christ, but we don't want to spend the time or the effort or the sacrifice to be with Him. God gives us His Son everything we need, and He says, go be like, know Him and be more like Him. But then God gives us His Spirit. Everything we need for life and godliness. And what does the Spirit continually do? As we study our Bibles, it empowers us to know Him and to therefore be more like Him. Look, what a gracious God we serve. He doesn't say, go be like my son and stop. He says, go be like my son and oh, by the way, here's everything you need to be like my son. So the first thing is growing in grace claims God's power. Let me start reading in verse 5 as we move on. For this very reason, make every effort. And let me stop. If I'm honest, it would have been kind of nice if Peter had just wrapped up the mini-sermon right there in verse 4. Got it. Know Jesus. Love Jesus. Become more like Jesus. All good. Thank you. Let's pray. You are dismissed. Unfortunately, he keeps going. And I don't really like the beginning of verse 5 because it says, For this very reason, make every effort. Hey, that sounds kind of like work. And the other one sounded kind of like more hanging out with Jesus. So what's he getting at here? Let me keep reading. Hang with me. I think we'll get there. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. 
Before I read verse 8, let me stop. God wants you to be like His Son. He empowers you to be like His Son. But if we're really honest and we look at our own lives, some of you are going, I don't look anything like His Son. I feel ineffective. I feel unfruitful in my knowledge of His Son. Right, yeah, I get it. But look at what verse 8 does not say. For if you possess these qualities perfectly, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Is that what verse 8 says? That's not what verse 8 says. It doesn't say if you possess these qualities perfectly. It says if you possess these qualities in increasing measure. This is huge. If God gives us all we need for life and godliness, and we unlock that through knowing Christ, here he tells us, here's how you become effective. Here's how you become fruitful in knowing Jesus. You make every effort. Not that you already have it done perfectly. Now, some of you listening today could be wondering where Peter's headed or where I'm headed. You believe you've been part of a gospel-centered church that teaches that we on our own are not good enough to get to God? Right, we have our two-line diagram we use when we're just we're talking about how to to talk about uh, sharing the gospel, and it says that hey, we're down here, and nothing we can do can get to God. And even by the way, after we're Christians, we've been taught that hey, our standing before God can't be changed by our works. So where are you headed? Because now you're telling me that I have to make every effort. Yeah, but look at what he's really saying. Peter isn't saying add works to your grace. He's saying that your grace is so firmly established. Now go make every effort to live out the fullness of that grace. If grace and new life has been given to you, why in the world would you settle for any type of secondary style life? If you've been declared righteous, live righteously. Wouldn't you want to? And you can by God's power working in you as you make every effort. Let me be really honest, sometimes we make justification, right? That being declared righteous, being declared not guilty to God, we make that by itself the gospel. And then we know we're headed towards glorification, right? That happens at the end. That happens when all of that we were supposed to become happens. And this sanctification is this necessary, frustrating time in between that the Lord for some reason makes us walk through. Church, justification, sanctification, glorification, they're all the gospel. God saves you by His grace, and then He transforms you by His grace as you make every effort. And while all while preserving you by His grace until He presents you by His grace on the last day, free of condemnation with the righteousness of His Son, it's all the gospel. Now, if you're not sure that you believe me quite yet, Let's go over to someone else named Paul, who wrote in Philippians 2, the end of verse 12. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Notice he doesn't say work for your salvation. He says, work out your own salvation. And then there's the why of verse 13. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Look at the marvelous order of this. You aren't loved if you work. You are loved, so therefore work. Guess what? God is going to work with you and in you as you do it. So make every effort to supplement your faith. Another way to say supplement your faith is the phrasing we're using today, which is grow in grace. Which brings me to our second observation. Growing in grace calls for our effort. Make every effort to supplement your faith, but with what? Depending on the translation, it says goodness or virtue. 
This is a term that speaks of moral excellence. It speaks of leading an exemplary life. Not just seeking to, to not be someone who does bad things or doesn't do bad things, but, but seeking to live a life worthy of imitation. It's the same word used at the end of verse 3 when talking about Christ, who has called us by His own goodness and excellence. Are you making every effort in that space? Holy Spirit, convict us now in areas of our lives that are not full of virtue. So add to your faith, goodness or virtue. Add to that knowledge. We've said already that knowledge is not a book knowledge. It's not a knowledge you can just get from reading or studying. This is a knowledge of God, of of who He is, of what He's like, what He loves, what He despises. Who is God? Knowing who He is. Peter tells us to add this. Isn't going to just come to us. And let me just be really blunt. It's not going to happen just by coming on Sunday morning in this one hour of, of worship gathering. It's going to be something that's going to require that effort, that sacrifice, that we can continue to get to know this God. I don't care who's up here preaching. I don't care who's leading or what songs we're singing. It's not going to just happen. We're going to have to make every effort in that area. Are you making every effort to get to know the God who saves you? Next one, self-control. Self-control is one of the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5. It's an outcome of knowing God. Are you maturing that area? Are you making every effort towards self-control? Again, none of this is about, hey, have you arrived? We're not looking on the, are you arrived? Are you making every effort in this area? Next is endurance. I like the translations as well of perseverance or steadfastness. It's a cool word we don't use quite as much in normal communication, but it communicates a lot there with steadfastness. But look, the race is long. We've talked about this before. If you're a Christian, the race is hard. It's long sometimes to get to that final conclusion. But what we're promised, like in verse 11 and other places in the New Testament, the prize goes to those who endure to the end. Look, I get it. Some of you, maybe a lot of you, maybe a lot of us are in a tough season with the Lord. I get it. But keeping up those spiritual disciplines so that we can grow and, and endure, it's not legalism. It's making every effort. It's making every effort to grow in our grace. Look, I, I saw this word picture from somebody else. It's like widening your stance, right? It's a tough season, and there's things coming at you, and you're just widening your stance so that you won't be knocked off your feet. And you're saying, I'm struggling, but by the power of God and Him working in and through me, I'm going to be steadfast. Lord, then help me do that. Don't take more than this to knock me off of my walk with you. But yet where I fail, help me to endure. Add to that godliness. This is great. He's already promised us everything we need for life and godliness. And he says, make every effort in godliness. We've already said that godliness, in this case, it speaks towards pleasing God. That is, loving the things He loves, walking in His ways. I'll be honest, a lot of us make every effort to live lives that please, well, other people. How many of us are living lives making every effort that please the Lord? Brotherly affection. Here the word is Philadelphia. It's a, it's a fondness. It's, a, it's an affection. It's a kindness towards fellow believers specifically here. And it's not because that they've earned it. It's not because they're lovely. In fact, often we're not lovely. But it's because you are making every effort to grow in brotherly affection for one another. And lastly, love. It's that Christian virtue that kind of serves as the ultimate evidence of our faith in the first place. Look at his list. It begins with supplementing your faith and it ends with love. That 
lines up with the rest of New Testament teaching that encompasses what a true believer looks like, one who is growing in faith, one who is growing in love. Make every effort. Act loving. Do, do unto others they'll have you do unto you. It doesn't mean that you wait until you feel. It doesn't make, wait until you feel like they deserve your love. You love them because you are making every effort to grow in grace. Holy Spirit, if we were to ask them today, say, what are some areas in our lives in which we are failing to make every effort? Is it virtue or goodness, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection? Is it love? Holy Spirit, help us to grow in these areas. As we grow in grace, we need God's power. And yet he also calls us to make every effort. So now let's look at the last observation from our text. But before we get there, verse 9. Verse 9 says, the person who lacks these things, these ones we've just talked about, these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, because if you do these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided for you. Looking at verse 9, the person who fails to make every effort towards growing in grace, is blind, look at it, in two directions. First, they are blind in that they are nearsighted. They are so focused on the present that they don't see that all that God has in front of them, the wonderful promises of everlasting life and and the new heavens and the new earth, if you go to look at chapter 3 and verse 13, that's one of the promises that Peter's talking about. But they can become so focused on what's right in front of them that they miss what God has for them. And when we take our eyes off what God's called us to, we can be really led astray. And so Peter calls them blind, if we're not making every effort. But he also says we're blind the other direction. We're blind looking backwards as well. Why? Because we're so focused on the present that we've forgotten that all that Christ has done for us. Cleansing us from our sins. If you forget what Christ has done, and you're so focused on the now that you forget what He's called you to, how effective do you really think you're going to be for the Lord? Peter says we're not going to be. We're going to be ineffective and unfruitful. How often, if our, present, if our focus is so much on the right now and we forget what's ahead and we forget what Christ has done behind, what's the chances that we're, our lives are going to be marked by growing in grace? The reality is it's a pretty much almost zero percent chance. And the worst part of that, too, is not only that we're just being ineffective, we are missing out. We have a good Heavenly Father who wants to give you good new life in Him and we are missing out because we're focused on the things that like the false teachers in Second Peter were focused on. Living for the right now, forgetting what's happened behind and forgetting what's in front of us. Our third observation for today comes from the wording of verse 10 which says, Growing in grace confirms our salvation. Now look, if you read verses 10 and 11 out of its context, and you quickly go, you go, wait, 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 wait. If I'm doing these things, I'm making every effort, I'm not going to stumble. And then by then I will, I will earn my entry into the eternal kingdom. That's really not what's going on here. They're not saying that by our efforts we are gaining our salvation. What they do do is they serve as a warning to those who aren't being marked by growing in grace. It says that, hey, if you're alive, if you look at your life, and it's not an area where you're making every effort to grow in grace, you ought not to have any confidence that you are actually made right with God. If you come to church regularly, or you made a profession of faith when you were years ago, or you even give financially to the things of the Lord, 
But an honest evaluation of your life does not reveal that you are making every effort towards growing in grace. The warning's plain. Don't assume that you're really justified before God. Those who are in Christ will evidence their salvation by their lives being marked as growing in grace. But listen, it's an invitation. Don't only hear the warning, hear also the invitation. We're on the second week, we're starting the second week, or however you want to call it, in January. We're in a season where a lot of people have made a whole bunch of New Year's resolutions, and the statistics show us that by the end of this month, there will not be a many people that started with New Year's resolutions that actually are still doing them at the end of our month. And usually what happens at that point is we're going, you know what? I'll wait till next December and I'll make up some new ones. Don't do that. Don't do that in your Christian life. If this morning you were to give an honest evaluation of your life and you were to look and say, I don't know if I'm actually making every effort in these areas. Don't throw your hands up. It's an invitation to now begin to make every effort by the power of the Lord. If we're to be about the things of the Lord, loving the things He loves, caring about the things He cares about, organizing our schedules around gospel work, verse 11 is an encouragement to you that our work is not in vain. And whatever we may have sacrificed in terms of time or money or energy or whatever it could be for the Lord will be more than worth it in the life to come. Look, as we look back over this entire passage and thinking through what it takes to be transformed in the image of Christ, let me remind you what I said in the beginning. It's slow. Sometimes frustratingly slow. But let me borrow an analogy that I heard that I think applies here. Sometimes our lives feel like yo-yos, right? Down and up, down and up. We see our highs, we see our lows when it's thrown down. And when we add it all up, right, when you grab the yo-yo back, what's the net? It's zero. If I add everything together, it's static. Nothing actually ultimately changed. And sometimes our lives in Christ feel like that. But let me say for a minute, I agree with your yo-yo analogy, or this analogy of our lives. But let me, instead of just looking at you right here doing this, or someone doing this with your life, let me, let me broaden the scope and realize that the, the man that was putting the yo-yo down and up actually is on an escalator going up. And so while you may feel the ups and downs and you think it's a net zero, by the time he's finished, he's all the way up here. Still with the ups and downs, but moving ever closer to Christ as He's called us to be. Look, the end of verse 10 doesn't indicate for us that we're going to somehow not... We're going to get to a point on this earth that we're going to stop sinning. That's not what verse 10 is saying. But it reminds us of the promise that we won't ultimately fall or ultimately fail to reach our destination of entry into the eternal kingdom of Christ. Why? Why won't we ultimately fail? Is it because we made enough effort... No, don't miss the context. Because as we've said already, the same grace that saved us is the same grace that will complete God's work in us. So the one that even though you may feel like your life is up and down, up and down, God has already promised that you are moving this direction. So this morning, church, let us claim the power of God that has granted us to experience Him as we make every effort toward growing in grace, thereby confirming our salvation as we wait for our future life in the new heavens and the new earth. If we do that, we will be well on our way to being mature Christians marked by our continual transformation to be the image of Christ. Let's pray this morning. Father in heaven, you are 
God, you are a good God. And God, you're a patient God. But you're a faithful God. And what you began in us, you will complete. God, if we really honestly step back and we recognize not only of how sinful we were before coming to Christ, but how often we still fail to continue to make every effort to grow in the grace by your power, God, we realize at the end of all of it that growing in grace ultimately requires much grace from you. But God, may we labor to be transformed, knowing ultimately that it is in your hands. You are the one ultimately making us look more like your son. But God, may we evidence the new life you've given us. May we walk into that. May we, may we desire to live in that new life in Christ by making every effort to supplement our faith so that, God, we may be beautiful pictures of your redemptive story to those who are around us to those who might, who might see our lives and be encouraged or challenged to know you or know you more. God, may our, may, our, may our desire for you not end or be completely wrapped up in just our studies and our head knowledge of you, but maybe it be a desire to know and be with you. God, we thank you because we recognize that even during this study on our marks of maturity, that none of this is on our own. That God, it is you that saves us, that we have a right confession of Christ. It is you that is transforming us. It is you that is equipping us and calling us and gifting us to be able to engage one another in our community and around the world. And it is you and by your hand and your power, the God, that we can even multiply our efforts to see gospel work happen other places of our city, of our state, and of our world. God, all of that is to your glory. And for that, we praise you now and forevermore. God, we love you. Thank you for this text. Thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the way you challenge us and encourage us. And may we live lives worthy of the gospel that you've called us to. God, we love you in the name of Jesus. Amen.